Grand Central Station is not the place most people go when they need to think about a big decision, but that's where Walter found himself. He had just come from a meeting with the boss in Brooklyn and was waiting to catch the commuter train back to Scarsdale. Earlier in the afternoon, the boss had requested a one-on-one meeting, not in the office, but at Joe's restaurant on Fulton Street a few blocks away. The boss was an earnest man, so Walter figured this was not a social occasion. It wasn't. You're listening to Celery City Stories, the podcast for curious people that explores the incredible history of Sanford and Seminole County, Florida, they didn't teach in school. I'm your host, Dan Ping. Welcome. This Celery City story is the first one I wrote when I thought I might want to start a podcast. Whenever significant change in history takes place, there are a series of events, both big and small, that have to occur before transformation can happen. This is a story about a small event that was part of a monumental change. Walter watched as his boss tore salt rolls into crumbs and nibbled on the pieces. The boss looked Walter in the eye and got right to the point. Radical changes are coming, Walter. I don't know when it will happen. It might be next month. It might be next year. But trust me, they're coming. Walter sat up a little taller as the boss talked, but otherwise he didn't react. The changes the boss talked about could destroy the company and they would most definitely shake up the industry. The board of directors knew what was coming, of course, but Walter was the only employee to know that changes loomed large. It made sense that Walter was among the first to know. Other employees were more important to the company beating the competition, but everyone listened to Walter. The boss knew this. That's why it was so important to let Walter know early. If Walter was on board, It would be easier to convince employees, customers, and the company's business partners. If you go ahead with this, all heck will break loose, Walter stated after a few moments. And for what? Do you really think it's worth all the trouble? Walter's boss was breaking an unwritten rule in the industry. Walter knew that a person could challenge written rules, maybe even break a few of them, usually without any major consequences. Unwritten rules, however, those are sewn into the fabric of an organization. If you dare even question an unwritten rule, you threaten the legitimacy of the entire community. That's just what Walter's boss planned to do. Back in his childhood home of Sanford, Florida, Walter had been carefully taught about challenging unwritten rules. He told the boss as much. I'm not sure I can work here any longer, he said. Walter's boss remained steadfast. He was not backing down. When the boss made up his mind, there was no changing it. Still, the boss didn't want to see Walter quit. He told Walter to think about it and come see him in a day or two with his decision. That's what led Walter to ponder his future in the hustle and bustle of one of the world's busiest train stations. Walter was among the best in the world at his job, and he had earned a reputation as a straight shooter. Everyone listened to Walter. Walter believed the changes the boss demanded would require him to compromise his standards. 
he had a choice to make. He could either do his job properly despite his misgivings, or he could voluntarily quit a great job. I quit. I can't go through with this, Walter informed his wife Lila as he walked through the door of their home. He gave her a brief overview of the afternoon's events. He told her he intended to call the boss right then. Why wait? Lila wasn't so sure Walter was making the right decision. A native of the Deep South, she too had been carefully taught. Yet she knew Walter's boss wouldn't make a decision like this lightly. Plus, she had grown accustomed to the lifestyle Walter's generous salary provided. To use a phrase Walter had coined, they were sitting in the catbird seat. Lila was a good wife, and she knew there was no point in getting into a debate on a matter like this with Walter. At least, not a head-on debate. Oh, sugar, there's no need to call your boss tonight. It's almost supper time. Why ruin a relaxing evening at home with all this silly talk about work? It'll wait. Let me fix you a martini. We'll never know exactly how many martinis Lila mixed up for Walter that night. Or for that matter, <laughs> how strong she poured the gin. We do know that Walter chose not to call his boss that night. In fact, after some self-examination, Walter decided maybe he could go along with his boss's decision. Two years later, on April 15, 1947, Walter was in his usual spot at work. As the employees took their positions, Walter leaned in to the WHN radio microphone and announced to everyone listening that the starting first baseman for the Brooklyn Dodgers was a black man named Jackie Robinson. Major League Baseball's unwritten rule banning black ball players was officially broken. It was just one of many broadcasting first in the Hall of Fame career for Sanford's very own Walter Red Barber. But this one might not have happened if not for a good wife and a strong martini. Anyway, they didn't teach that story in school, now did they? A quick editor's note. In the story that you just heard, I added some brief dialogue. I have no way of knowing exactly what was said, so those quotes were added for dramatic effect. However, the story itself is factual, and the story and those quotes were based on a couple of different resources. Jimmy Breslin has a great biography on Branch Rickey. That was Red Barber's boss. He was the GM of the Brooklyn Dodgers. I also used a new biography on Red Barber that was done by Judith R. Hiltner and James R. Walker. I was also able to find a good documentary about legendary radio broadcasters that Larry King did back in 1989. It's called Ball Talk, Baseball's Voices of Summer. In that documentary, there's a clip of Red Barber recalling the time that Branch Rickey sat down with him at Joe's restaurant and told him about his plan to integrate baseball. Red shares his reaction to the news and then tells the story about his conversation with Lila at home that evening. I'll put links to those two books in the show notes. I will also put a link to the YouTube video of the documentary that I found in the show notes as well. One other note, I know those voices weren't very good, particularly Lila, Red Barber's wife. I, 
I'm not very good with voices yet. I'm still working on that. So thank you for your patience there. If you've spent any time at all in Sanford, you understand this city has a very complicated history when it comes with Jackie Robinson. Most of you know the story that Jackie Robinson, back in 1946, was in town for spring training with the Montreal Royals. That was the Dodgers AAA team. The Dodgers held spring training in Daytona. The Royals were here in Sanford. And of course, right away, there were some issues because Jackie Robinson couldn't stay at the Mayfair Inn, which was the hotel overlooking Lake Monroe where all of the other ball players were staying. He instead stayed at the home of D.C. Brock, a black businessman here in town who had a home on Sanford Avenue. Then you have Roy G. Williams, the Sanford police chief, kicks Robinson off the field in the middle of the game. Williams' reason was that the city owned the stadium and the city did not allow white and black ball players to play on the field at the same time. And at the same time all of that was going on, you had the Ku Klux Klan sending word that if Robinson didn't leave town, there was some bad stuff going to happen. So Jackie Robinson was only in Sanford for a couple of days before they moved him back up towards Daytona. That's why I find it interesting that while you had all of this resistance to Jackie Robinson here in Sanford, at the same time you had a Sanford man in Red Barber who's part of Branch Rickey's plan to help integrate Major League Baseball. You see, Mr. Rickey had figured out that more than even the ball players, Red Barber was the face, or more appropriately, the voice of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Brooklyn fans had more interaction with Red Barber than they did with any of the ball players. It was said that during ball games, you could walk down the street in Brooklyn and never miss a pitch because everybody had their radios on and it was Red Barber's voice coming out of those radios. So Red Barber was a very familiar voice. He was also a Southern voice, I might add. He sounded nothing like the folks in Brooklyn. He had this soft Southern twang and that was part of Branch Rickey's thought process was that if Red Barber is calling a baseball game where a black man is excelling at the same level or a higher level than the white ball players, that Red Barber's familiar voice would help break down any barriers that the fans themselves might have. Now, Red Barber's participation in this does not erase the stain that Sanford has for the way they treated Jackie Robinson. I'm not suggesting that at all. Red Barber himself actually talks about this in some of his memoirs, as well as in the video that I'll provide a link to in the show notes. The way he describes it was that growing up both in Columbus, Mississippi, where he was born, and then later Sanford, where his family moved to, he had been carefully taught about the indelible line between whites and blacks, and that that line was never to be crossed. In his writings, Red Barber actually credits his wife Lila with convincing him not to quit the Brooklyn Dodgers. Not so much in any arguments that she made, but in that she gave him time to think and not react emotionally. His plan when he walked through the door and told Lila what had happened was that he was going to quit right then. She knew that wasn't the right thing to do, but she also knew that she wasn't going to be able to win any debate with Red at that point. So, why not let him calm down? Red Barber was very much a man of continuous self-improvement and self-reflection and self-betterment. And she knew that with time that Red would come around. He would make the decision that needed to be made. Red Barber is still connected to the news today, believe it or not. 
Some of you may have read or may have heard that Vin Scully, the longtime Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster, recently passed away. Vin Scully is a legend in his own right, and he was actually a protege of Red Barber. Red Barber actually found him at Fordham College there in New York and hired him to be his assistant on the radio with the Dodgers. I have a couple of listener shout-outs to make. I want to thank Jackie Royal and Mike Laughlin for giving five-star reviews for the podcast. Thank you all very much for doing that. I want to give a super-duper listener shout-out to Jolene Allen and someone. Jolene and someone who wishes to remain anonymous both donated five cups of coffee. Thank you guys very much for doing that. If you'd like to donate a cup of coffee, one cup, two cups, five cups, whatever you like, there's a button on the website that says buy me a coffee. You can do that and make a donation to this program. Last week I mentioned that there's an exhibit at the Sanford Museum that you should go see. The exhibit highlights the career of Willie Pocket Brown, who was a professional photographer in the Georgetown community. And I had said last week that that was ending in September. That's incorrect. They're actually going to take it down for a month because September is also the 65th anniversary of the museum. So they will have a special display up for that. But the Brown exhibit, the Willie Pocket Brown exhibit, will continue through November. So you've got a little more time, but don't waste time. Go see it now. It's a nice exhibit and I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. I'll be back next week with another Celery City story.